0: Listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. And before we get into today's episode, I am pleased to extend an invitation for you and a guest to join us at our annual launch event. This year, we're having a barbecue and open house just five minutes across the border in Linden, Washington. Logos Bible Software has gifted us the use of their Grace Manor estate for this event. It is a beautiful property worth seeing in and of itself. This will be happening September 17th, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the theme for this year is in it, but not of it, as outlined in John 17, 16 to 18. Apologetics Canada has plans for an amazing year of ministry ahead. This launch event is about sharing with you all that God is doing through this ministry and our vision and plans for the upcoming year. As well, we will be sharing a sneak peek of our most recent filming in Egypt for our project, Can I Trust the Bible? So come and hear from the AC team as we share all about what God is doing across Canada, hear more about what they are passionate about and the great work that we are doing in our region. We hope you will join us Sunday, September 17th for this year's launch event as we celebrate and prepare for another year of ministry. But as we get into today's episode, we've titled it Road Trip from Auschwitz, a conversation about dehumanization. Now, as soon as you get into the episode, you're probably going to hear a very strange level of audio quality for AC standards. And you would be correct. But that's actually because Andy and Wes are on the Autobahn recording this episode. Yeah, that's right. So take a back seat as Andy and Wes drive the Audubon in Germany on this edition of the AC Podcast, where they discuss their filming in Berlin, Germany, and Auschwitz, Poland. Listen as they share what we can learn from these historical sites and how to make sure the dark history is never repeated. That's all from me. Enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy and Wes. Coming to you from Germany. We are live on the road, driving as we speak. We're actually on the Autobahn. And I have been uh, flirting in between 140 and 160. Can I even say that? (laughs) No, no. illegal yeah I would like to I'd like the record to show that the speed I'm going is not illegal no I'm I'm currently not doing 160 just to be just to be clear well and we're
2: arguably going with the flow of traffic if not slower than the flow of
1: traffic yes I am in the slow lane but I am doing 140 (laughs) with that aside listen why are we in Germany well first of all we were in Egypt and we shared a little bit about what we were doing there. Wes, you wanna just remind people why why we were in Egypt? Because really, you're to blame. I'm to blame. The Audubon is a good
2: illustration of what we've been doing because we've just been flying by true. Uh, country to country. But we were over in Egypt filming our series Why, uh, why You Can Trust the Bible. And so we were hitting a number of key sites that were related to the history of the text of the Bible, where some of our manuscripts were found, both of the biblical texts, and then some apocryphal texts, the Gospel of Thomas. We went and saw at the Coptic Museum in Cairo. And so as part of that, we're gonna be talking about uh, the canon of scripture and why we have, say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our New Testament, and not something like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip. So we've been uh, on kind of a, a crazy, country hopping trip where we were in Egypt for, what was it, a little over a week?
1: Yeah, and and we were there because this is where the documents were found and we wanted to tell the story. So in other words, instead of just giving a bunch of information, we wanted to really tell the story. Uh, How did this come together and why some things included, not others. Now, on our way to Egypt, we had to route through Germany, and so we were able to do a, a free stopover in Germany, uh, hop in a rental car, and drive off to uh, Auschwitz. And so we've been uh, we've been in Poland, which is where Auschwitz is located. And in fact, Auschwitz is just the German name that they gave that town that ultimately i i if i understand that correctly uh what ultimately became the the concentration camp so it's kind of got two names it's got its polish name but it's got its uh, german name and we want to talk a little bit in this podcast while we're driving a car so forgive us for the audio quality but we wanted to talk a little bit about why we're here in germany and why we're in poland doing the filming that we are doing and then we want to just take a moment to give you a little bit of insight from our time touring auschwitz our time actually touring in berlin and we're currently on our way to to nuremberg so i want to give you just a little bit of insight into what we saw and how we're processing that
2: yeah uh, what were some of the things that that stood out to you andy in terms of we, go, we drove into the town and, and right when we got into it, as we were going to our hotel, we actually passed you know, the barbed wire fence that was on the outside of the Auschwitz camp one. And so we really got you know, kind of baptized into seeing Auschwitz on our way to the hotel. Um, but I don't think either of us realized there was so much more than even just that kind of kitty corner that we do pass by
1: yeah Auschwitz is a lot bigger than I understood
2: yeah or anticipated
1: Yeah, uh, anticipated one of the things that you know listeners you might find interesting is that you know even from everything I'd studied I had yet to come across this uh, Auschwitz was made up of three different compounds some of which were like two kilometers apart and these compounds were, were huge they housed uh, a lot of people I mean we only went and and just two are just a fraction of this. And so I would say, Wes, one of the first things that caught my attention was just the size of this. Auschwitz was by far the largest concentration camp and or extermination camp for Germany. And, And this is an important distinction I think people need to appreciate that's going on with Auschwitz. Auschwitz was both a concentration camp where prisoners of war were worked, often worked to death, but it was also an extermination camp where different peoples such as Poles and different people groups such as the Jews and different religious people such as Jehovah's Witnesses or those who practiced things that went against Nazi Germany's ideology such as homosexuals. that These are where they were brought, as well as prisoners of war, those that were German, per se, but they were opposed to Hitler. They would be brought to these camps. And in fact, one of the things that we learned uh, today, actually, was that Hitler would send people there that he had every intention of murdering after the war, but he wanted to like take his time with it. One of the,
2: the things that uh, I stood out to me when the, the tour guide, we did a walking tour of some World War II sites in Berlin today, and the, the guide mentioned that Part of this kind of diversified group that were sent to these camps were also just Germans who were unwilling to work, uh, he mentioned, uh, or uh, people who who didn't fit into the nice, tidy box. He even mentioned the fact that he involved in all this rhetoric about Aryans being the master race, that the a lot of the gypsies, the Romanos, were actually Aryan ethnically, but that they had concocted these... Pseudo narratives about even people who fit into what they were describing as the individuals that they wanted to create as this purified, uh, you know, Ubermensch,
1: the, the you know, pure race. Now, there's significant irony to this given that we just happen to be in Berlin right now. Yeah. <laughs> because currently in Berlin, they are hosting the 2023 Special Olympics. Now, just for clarity, there are two different types of, uh, of Olympics that happen outside of the main Olympics. You have the Special Olympics, and you have the Paralympics. Now, the Paralympics are for those with a physical disability. The Special Olympics, which is happening in Berlin now, are, is for those with a uh, mental or intellectual disability. Now, this is ironic, because at the time that Hitler was the leader, those that had a mental disability were viewed as a drain on society. They were, they were viewed as a burden. They were viewed as, West, like you were just getting at, they were viewed as less than human, right? They're not the, the Ubermensch. They're not the, the Superman. They're not the, the Aryan race stock. right, that they want to continue uh, to perpetuate. And so, and so these, these people were a part of this T4 program that they would send off and euthanize. And so eugenics was also a part of that extermination uh, machinery, if you will, that was happening in Germany at that time, where some were just, some were just immediately you know, sent off and killed, others were sent off to these concentration camps. Now, one thing that I think is really important to appreciate about both of those that were happening was that doctors, physicians, medical professionals were at the front lines of both the T4 program, they were the ones that were referring uh, children off to, the, to be euthanized. They were the ones that were assessing uh, those and deemed uh, a title that's often, or a term that's often used in Nazi Germany, was unworthy of life. And so they were the ones making that determination. Now, the same thing was happening though when train loads of people were showing up at places like Auschwitz. I think it might surprise a lot of people to learn that they were greeted by doctors.
2: Yeah, and the doctors were the ones that were dividing the people who were used for physical labor and the people who would uh, be sent off to the uh, the gas showers. Yeah. And, um, and we saw some of those pictures at the uh, at the Auschwitz Museum of, you know, you would see the, the people coming off trains. I think mainly the pictures we were seeing were Jews. And there would be a, an, a Nazi uniformed agent there pointing. Uh, telling, you know, able-bodied, specifically men, to be going in one direction, and then women and children and uh, elderly and the weaker uh, men to be going off to what they would tell them was a shower, but, but was the gas chambers. Yeah. Uh, and those were doctors. Those were doctors who yeah. were, were partaking in that particular, you know, dividing the, the capable from the uncapable if, if, in, a, in a terrible way, if that's how you want to describe it.
1: Now, one of the things that you know, catches your attention when you come to Auschwitz is, is you see these train tracks. So, these tracks still remain that brought train loads of people. Sometimes they would spend a week in these, in these uh, wooden... Uh... Boxcars. Yeah, really that's what it was, was They, were, they it? weren't too much more than that. Yeah, they have one there and it was quite, quite small and heartbreaking that women and children and men would be put in these uh, boxed up, sent to Auschwitz. Many didn't even make it in the journey there. And I could completely see that. Yeah. And then once they get there, uh, with with hope that you know something good's coming, they come to their demise. And, and when you're at Auschwitz, you learn that approximately 1.1 million people lost their lives there. It's one of the reasons why Auschwitz uh, is often referred to as a factory of death. This this was a place that was designed to kill people and was very uh, effective at, at doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there were so many sobering moments while we were walking around. Um, I mean, the, the pictures that they had in some of the barracks were just uh, pretty, pretty hard to see. Pictures of you know women and children coming off the train cars and, and you know that they were ultimately murdered. Um, there's the, there was a, a displays with piles of hair uh, displays with piles of shoes and, and piles of luggage and, and it's hard to even grasp the scope of how many people really went there to their deaths yeah. and, and how normal people be so convinced and coerced to think that this is okay to, you know, even just kind of divide, like cattle, people who were going to be used for slave labor and people who were going to just go and be murdered, um, it's it pretty, pretty heart wrenching.
1: So as we were saying, there's three different compounds. There's Auschwitz I, Auschwitz II, and Auschwitz III. Uh, the biggest one is Auschwitz uh, II, mm-hmm. which is also referred to as Auschwitz-Birkenhau. But I think the one most people are familiar with, with the famous gate and, and everything, would be Auschwitz 1.
2: Yeah, well, the, the gate over the, the entrance. Um, but even I think that Auschwitz 2 is the iconic one with the gate with the train tracks going straight through it. If you look up Auschwitz, you've probably seen either of those two kind of uh, iconic entrances uh, that have become kind of synonymous with visualizations of Auschwitz but so we're at Auschwitz too we got there it's much more spread out it's less of a the first one was a, an army barracks that pre-existed and the second one was housing then they demolished
1: the housing and built this camp. I believe it was a year. It was a year after Auschwitz one. Something like that, because you have to appreciate that this all happened relatively quickly. And we're talking about one point one million people losing their lives within five years. Yeah. So so all of this took place, you know, again relatively quickly. Yeah, so I think it was around a year. Yeah, so
2: you walk in and you see these um, there are different barracks, some are made out of brick and some are made out of wood. And one of the things the guide was pointing out was that the ones that were made out of wood were actually were they stables they were german stables that had and i'm forgetting the number um he was saying was somewhere between 20 and 30 horses uh, but he said that while it would house 20 30 horses um a thousand people per barracks were actually crammed in there yeah i uh, just kind of and and even uh, in the the women's barracks that we went and saw uh one of the things that the guide said was that people were so skeletal that they would just kind of pile them on top um, even while they were living because they were so, uh, they were suffering from malnutrition and starvation that they would just kind of, you know, they weren't even beds. They were just kind of like cubbies, human cubby holes. Um, so it's, it's pretty terrible even to think of just the uh, the
1: living standards and, and uh, situation there. Given that they had so many people In these living conditions you can imagine what sort of insects and and parasites and particularly lice things like lice uh, were rampant and and so they were constantly trying to you know deal with that it's one of the reasons why you see everyone has their hair shaved and by the way that was probably one of the most sobering things to see at Auschwitz was they still have the hair from uh, you know some of these people and the the quantity was shocking yeah Uh, it was It was, you know, a couple feet deep and, I don't know what, 80 feet long? It was shocking. At any rate, they would use Zykon B to kill the lice. And over the course of time, with them trying to get more and more effective at killing people, they began to realize that they could use this to gas um, those at uh, at the concentration camp. So they could gas the Jews and, and others in and so it's 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 just it's just heartbreaking that you know this chemical used to kill lice was being used to kill people on mass, and those are the kind of stories that were that we're used to hearing. But one of the things that really caught my attention was that it was more than just uh, exterminating people; that at Auschwitz there was a quite a contingent too of just mistreating people and torturing people so for example they showed us one room that they would put people into they would make them stand up do you remember seeing this west they would have to stand in these rooms jam-packed like a small little cell kind of like solitary confinement sort of idea but they would be in those rooms with with other people such that they couldn't sit down they could only stand and they would put them in there for like three days and they would let them out for like an hour a day sort of thing very minimal, and you, I mean, you could only imagine what that would do to a person.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and rooms for all sorts of different ways to test uh, how, the impact of you know, cold, the impact of pressure, the impact yeah. of heat, the impact of on, on the human body.
1: What Wes is getting at there is stuff like doctors running experimentations on humans, and there at Auschwitz, particularly Auschwitz to Auschwitz-Birkenhauer, is where Magdala was doing experiments, particularly on children. And this is one of the things they talked about. You know, because I was going to say, it's hard to believe. But it's not just hard for us to believe. When the war was over and when they're coming in and they're finding these places, the soldiers couldn't believe what they were seeing. In fact, they would take pictures of what they're seeing just because they probably thought people wouldn't even believe them.
2: Yeah, it almost seems propagandist to say, oh, you know, these these terrible Nazis were doing these things, but they, they almost needed proof to validate, no, the terrible things that actually were so disastrously evil were actually taking place. So, in this bummer of a podcast and what what's the oh, what's the takeaway? You now, how can the people that are listening to this, you and I, how can we think Christianly about going to somewhere like Auschwitz? and thinking about what took place and how we as Christians we're trying to speak into a society, what lessons can we learn and apply from these kind of atrocities that happen?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And one of the reasons why we were there filming is because you'll see soon enough, we we will um, let you know when it's out, but we're gonna be talking about different things that we can learn uh, from these moments in history and why particularly in our Canadian context why we should be paying attention to these things and why we should be cautious with even the directions that we're going now I know it's almost gotten to the place where talking about Nazi Germany is almost taboo but it was interesting here in Germany because they are quite willing to talk about it and that history is still quite alive and I was happy to see the millions of people that come to Auschwitz I was actually shocked Wes by the number of people that were there and we looked it up it was around 2.3 million people go through Auschwitz within a year and I think that Auschwitz actually has a memorial it's at the very end so if you walk all the way through Auschwitz 2 you'll see this memorial plaque and this plaque really sums up what I think is, is one of the big takeaways Wes that, that I want to leave people with about what can we learn from this or why talk about this, why continue to talk about this? Why go and visit places like this and and make these connections. But notice what it says. Wes you wanna you wanna read it? You don't wanna read it while you're driving Andy? No I'm gonna pass on Okay, okay, yeah, I'll do it then.
2: <laughs> it says forever let this place be a cry of despair and a warning to the humanity where the Nazis murdered about one and a half million men, women and children, mainly Jews, from the various countries of Europe.
1: And I think that that's what we're dealing with here, is we need to understand how these sorts of things happen, and we need to learn from them so that they don't happen again. And, and that's, why, that's why we have memorials like Auschwitz as, as a reminder of what can happen and, and the importance of making sure that it doesn't happen again. Now, if I, Wes, if I were to say, okay, well, what is the major takeaway that we learned from Auschwitz? One of, the, one of the major takeaways that we discovered as, you know, you have different people like Leo Alexander and others that were investigating. Right after World War II, right, you have the Nuremberg trials that take place. And they're holding these Nazis to account for what they've done. And as they're researching, you know, what happened and, and what led to it, the thing that comes up over and over again is dehumanization. The thing that you see repeatedly is this idea that when people no longer see each other as people, they will treat each other inhumanely, right? Uh, inhumanly. They will torture people, they will enslave people, they will will uh, murder people in, in gruesome fashion. Yeah, and I think that... But we need to be so
2: careful with our rhetoric about other individuals uh, that that it doesn't take much for the, the type of language of dehumanization to sink in and to start really affecting the way that we view the world and, and view other people and uh, it's so easy to say well those things happened in the past and you know we're not going to let them happen, not let that happen in the future but there are just so many examples of time and time again where we not we as in like Canadians or we as in North America, but we as in humanity mm-hmm. allow this type of rhetoric to take place in small forms that turn into bigger forms and then affect things like uh, Armenia or Rwanda or
1: Cambodia, uh, Cambodia.
2: You know there, there are far too many examples of these instances where we start to refer to other human beings as others and we start to refer to them as this, not a non-human language. And, and I
1: honestly, Wes, if, if we just give that a little bit of thought, what's happening online so often these days descends into that sort of rhetoric hmm. where yeah. it's very easy to be a keyboard warrior and not see the humanity of another person and you know vent your frustration in ways that you would never do to somebody face to face.
2: Yeah, and and just the kind of splitting of societies, uh, of othering, whether that's politically or religiously or whatever, in in creating this dichotomy of the us and them, um, which can lead to some very dangerous places. Or, you know, um, with the situation with the unborn, or with the situation with uh, people in society Know, are your political rivals or whatever, we need to be so, so careful because, you know, going to somewhere like Auschwitz really punctuates and just puts that exclamation mark.
1: And, and maybe this is a good place for us to end the podcast, and that is that when they researched, you know, how, how did this happen, how did we get to this horrendous moment, it's worth noting that it, it wasn't the doctors. The doctors aren't to blame, but I would argue that the doctors are the front lines often of a a society's moral conscience. These are where our ethical battles tend to be taking place on the front lines. But when they looked into what led to these doctors numbing their conscience and not seeing the humanity of these people, and, and of course the soldiers and others, ultimately what it came down to, and this is one of the things Leo Alexander says in his report, is that you see that this was driven by ideology, and so I think that this is an important question that Christians have to consider. I think a society needs to think about what are the ideologies that are driving this current moment, and as Christians, we need to think about how the gospel engages with that ideology, particularly when we're dealing with dehumanizing ideologies versus the Christian humanizing gospel message of hope and good news that leads to love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. That's the kind of Christians that we want to be, that we're engaging it with, leading to those good things, not those horrendous moments we see in history.
2: You know, before we wrap up, there's one more thing that I'd like you to comment on, Andy. Um, There was something, as we were getting closer to the end of Auschwitz-Birkenau, and uh, getting up to that memorial, there was something you said, which I can't remember exactly, because let's be honest, uh, I'm, I've been sick of you talking <laughs> for weeks now, but um, when, when we got to the end, you made this comment about uh, justice, and that if God doesn't exist, hmm. then, you know, this doesn't mean anything
1: because it's a question i get from a lot of people well they'll they will say to me or they'll feel you know and i and i get it you know god how could you let this happen god why didn't you stop this and and i get it and i think that those are frustrations and cries that we should have what but what do you do in light of that frustration because a lot of people are ready to just throw god aside and and get ri- rid of god entirely and and one of the things that we were talking about is for me when I see things like Auschwitz, it, it furthers my resolve, it strengthens my faith, it doesn't hinder my faith. Because I am further convinced that evil does exist, and my cry for justice is all the more loud. And I know that the only source of justice, the only way to even make sense of a world of right and wrong is with a good God. And I do believe firmly that God is good, and God is going to judge these sorts of atrocity, these, that, that, that this doesn't just go unpunished, that, that justice will come, and that we have hope that evil doesn't win, Yeah, that justice does come, and that, that God wins in the end, that Jesus wins in the end, That that we will see justice, and we will see evil defeated, and we have hope of good, and the beautiful, and the right, the way the world ought to be is our hope is the good news that we long for hey listeners thank you so much
0: for tuning into this week's episode we pray as always that you are challenged and encouraged and despite the audio quality we hope you enjoy the episode The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, so please like, subscribe, and interact with us on social media as well as YouTube. As the young people like to say, go over there and smash that subscribe button or gently click it. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we would appreciate it. But tune in next week when we find more things to think about. And as always, you know the drill. Love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast.